We have three distinguished panelists with us. Their bios are in the handouts that you have, but I'll mention them in just a minute. You should have this handout prepared by Reggie Harrison in his office that shows the uh, potential tsunami flood area. And you'll notice you're in it. Uh, <laughs> you're probably, though, in really safe position tonight because I suspect if there's a warning, these three will be the first ones out of the room. And so, 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 That's true. So, <laughs> so you're in good shape. So to my immediate left is Reggie Harrison. He is the first director of the newly created Department of Disaster Preparedness and Emergency Communications in the city of Long Beach. It was created in November 2014. The department is responsible for disaster preparedness, homeland security coordination, and the city's emergency communication functions, 911. Next to him is Kevin Miller. He's the tsunami program leader for the California Governor's Office of Emergency Services. He represents California on the National Tsunami Hazard Mitigation Program, serves as co-chair of the Mitigation and Education Subcommittee. And next to him is Rick Wilson, a senior, senior engineering geologist with the, Cal with the California Geological Survey. And he's worked for over 26 years on the geologic and seismic hazard fields much of it with the state seismic hazard mapping program. And for the last 10 years, he's been the science coordinator for the state tsunami preparedness and hazard mitigation program, which is headed by the California Governor's Office of Emergency Services. So we've got three outstanding people. Uh, and we're gonna ask, I'm gonna ask them each a few questions. And then when we are finished with the discussion, among the four of us, we'll open it up to all of you and try to answer your questions. But I think, Rick, we need to start with some basic definitions. What are tsunamis? How do they originate? It, originate and what are some of their characteristics? And I know you have some slides, so you're free to stand up. And Thank you. Uh, yeah, I brought slides. Just so happened to answer your questions. So uh, <laughs> I appreciate you asking those questions that we set up ahead of time. <laughs> So, um, see if this works, there we go. So what is a tsunami? Uh, the best way to be able to characterize a tsunami is by comparing it to what we know as a wind wave. Uh, wind wave, basically, uh, it, it's about a minute long, it comes and it causes a curling wave, a breaking wave on the shoreline, and then it recedes back out to the ocean. A tsunami is much different. A tsunami surge, and it's not really a wave, it's a surge of water that comes on shore like a river, if you will. Um, and it, lasts, it can last for uh, 10 to 20 minutes coming on shore and then going offshore another 10 or 20 minutes. And so this goes on and on for a period of time if you have a very large tsunami. Um, it can, uh, and usually the first wave is not the largest. So people that go down and they put their feet in the water and they say, you know, you see the media, they go down there and they put their, their feet in the water and say, well, it's the time of arrival and I don't see the tsunami. So back to you in the, in, you know, in the newsroom. Uh, tsunamis can really, the you know, first six hours basically are the, the primary parts of the tsunami where you can get the largest wave. Um, how do tsunamis form? Uh, they can form in multiple ways. The key for forming a tsunami though is a displacement of the water surface. That's what you need to have cause a tsunami. 
So the main ways that those are done, about 99 to 90, 90 to 90%, 90% to 95% of tsunamis are caused by faults underneath the seafloor. And so here is a little video that kind of shows that. If I can get uh, you to push it there. You get pressure built up on a fault that's underneath the, the ocean. And as that pressure builds up, it turns red. No, it doesn't normally turn red, but it, it releases in an earthquake. And that earthquake allows, or allows it to release. The land underneath the water goes up, which then lifts the surface of the water up also at the same time. Mound of water at the surface, gravity takes over, and then you have tsunamis going in all directions. Uh, the tsunami wave then goes across the ocean, and if you have a local area, it's coming onshore very quickly. So that's 90 to 95% of the time we get an earthquake that causes a tsunami. The other five typically are caused by landslides. And they can occur by coming down into the water as a splash, or they can occur underneath the water surface. And I have this video shows, go ahead and roll the video. Video shows a submarine landslide that uh, basically fails on the slope there. And it sucks down the water surface above it, so there's a negative wave. And it pushes the water away from it, causing a positive wave. So this positive and negative wave, gravity takes over again, and then that spreads out. Now, landslide tsunamis don't occur very often. Like I said, it's a very small percentage. And when they do occur, they only really impact about 30 miles around that if it's a very large landslide. So they're not something we're as concerned about, but it's still something we have to look at. Um, so some of the tsunami sources we have to deal with in Southern California, and I'll just go through this quickly because I think my colleagues are going to talk a little bit more about this too. But I'd like to break it down into two different types of tsunamis. One is a distance source tsunami that comes across the ocean, and you have a period of time before it arrives on our coast. And these particular types of tsunamis can occur along any part, most parts of our coast, uh, around the Pacific Rim, around the Ring of Fire, where you have these plates coming together, these tectonic plates coming together, and you have that displacement, one going down under the other, and then as the earthquake lets go, you get this very large displacement vertically. Now you notice here in, in where it says California, um, right there, so in Southern California, we don't have one of these really large, what we call subduction zones. So we don't have the type of fault that creates a really large tsunami here in Southern, Southern California. Um, it's basically the faults in this area are all strike slip faults. So they, they move, they're all related to the San Andreas fault system. So they move laterally instead of vertically. And that doesn't generate a tsunami directly. Um, so when you have a, a distant source tsunami like this, you can get a period of time to uh, uh, evacuate. It's the two that we're really concerned about, three actually, Cascadia, where we only have about an hour, hour and a half before it comes to Southern California. Uh, Alaska, Aleutian Islands, where we have some of the biggest earthquakes and some of the, the biggest tsunamis that impact California. And then Chile. For Alaska, Aleutians, it takes about five hours to get to Southern California. For Chile, it takes 13 hours. So that's a period, that's enough time for people to evacuate from waterfront areas if they need to. For local sources, as I said, most of the faults are strike slip. They don't really displace the water column that much. But we do have a potential for landslides offshore, but a very small potential. We've mapped a couple landslides offshore, and when we did work on how old they were, we found out they were seven to 10,000 years old. So they don't happen very often here in Southern California, but it's still something we need to prepare for and think about a local event. 
If you feel the ground shake or you see the water recede, this could be an indication that a tsunami is coming on shore locally and you need to go to high ground immediately. The last slide, um, I think Jerry had asked me to kind of describe one of my experiences with tsunamis. And uh, I want to talk about the 2011 tsunami from Japan. We're a couple days away from the seven-year anniversary of that event. Um, that was an event that killed over 18,000 people, uh, caused $360 billion worth of damage. It's the most costly natural disaster in modern history. And they're still feeling the effects of it with the Fukushima nuclear power plant uh, and the radiation leak there. Some parts of Fukushima haven't been uh, reoccupied yet. But one of the locations I went to when I was over there about five months after the tsunami was Aniyoshi, community of Aniyoshi and Aniyoshi Bay. And this was the area that had the highest run-up during the tsunami. It got up to 130-foot elevation on land. Okay? Now, Aniyoshi had experienced two tsunamis in the last 100, 120 years. And after the second tsunami, they decided to put these stones up. And I know it's kind of hard to see, but right here, it's a stone tablet that reads, build your community above this stone, okay, for the safety of your family. And this community did that. They are, they are all above that, that stone, and that stone's at 150-foot elevation. So those past tsunamis got up there, too. Um, when you go down into the valley, I had a hard time really thinking, what's a 130-foot elevation tsunami look like? Um, it was pretty much the perfect storm of tsunami. You had a... You had a tsunami that came into, which was about 30 feet high, coming into this very narrow uh, shoreline that was kind of focusing into this one valley. Uh, it went through the mouth at about 60 to 70 feet. And then when it got on land, the slope was just about right for the tsunami to just go up to 130 feet elevation. And the power this thing had. So what you're seeing here is, this right here is called a trim line of where the tsunami erodes the uh, vegetation off the rock. And that's about 60 to 70 feet high, okay? Um, you can see here, there's two blocks. This was where their uh, seawall was. And this is also a part of the seawall. Uh, it pushed the seawall in 1,000 feet. And if you uh, want to see the size of that seawall, you can see here's a person for comparison. This is a cement block, pure cement block, that got pushed 1,000 feet inland. So very devastating tsunami locally. But the good news is, we don't have this kind of threat in Southern California. So keep that in mind. The tsunamis we're looking at for maximum size tsunamis are on the order of 10 to 15 feet, but where we are now is below that elevation. So we have to keep that in mind for the areas down that are very low elevation. So with that, I'd like to give it back to Jerry. And okay, so Rick, next person. What, tsunami, I think in Japanese, means large wave in harbor. What, what got us calling these tidal waves, since they have nothing to do with the tides? That, that's a good question. I think uh, just because it was showing a very rapid tide change. So usually a tide will change once or twice in a day. Uh, you'll get a, a, every six hours, I think, a tide. You're the oceanographer, so you probably know this better than I do. But you get a tide coming in uh, over a six-hour period of time, and you see the water rise and the water fall over a very long time period. These were, tsunamis are much different. You get water coming in, 20 minutes later it goes down. So it goes up and down for a very short period of time, but it looks like a tidal 
way, if you will. And if you, you, I think you said it takes about six hours for a tsunami from Japan to get across. It takes, it takes 10 hours from Japan, ten. yeah. So they're going pretty fast. Yeah, they, they're, they're traveling at the speed of a jet plane, basically 400 to 500 miles per hour. And uh, they're very small in the open ocean. There are just a couple, maybe if it's a large tsunami, like the Japan tsunami, it was probably about a foot high. But as it arrives on our coast, because you have the, the bathymetry that pushes the tsunami up, it slows it down. You get that, as you slow down the tsunami, you're, you're increasing the height of the tsunami and the power of the tsunami. So it's kind of a trade-off between the two. All right, thank you. All right, then Kevin, we're gonna turn to you. Uh, Rick started on California's risks from tsunamis, but this is your bailiwick. How much risk are we at in, in California? And where are the ones that we should worry most of? That is, where do they originate? Well, I too anticipated your question with a couple of slides, so <laughs> thank you. Um, we in California, uh, we don't have, thankfully, the, the huge risk uh, that they do immediately offshore of Japan. But we have, in the past six years, as the slide says, experienced, uh, or this past nine years, experienced nine tsunamis, which have activated our response system uh, for emergency response in California, that activated the state warning center, and all the 20 counties along the coast of California um, had to respond in some way to tell their citizens what to do. And really, the only thing you can do uh, with regard to a tsunami potentially coming is get out of its way. Um, and you can see from the six tsunamis, they're coming from different areas around the Pacific, the South Pacific, um, from uh, South America. And our, our worst tsunami uh, to impact California in this time period is clearly this one from Japan. Uh, it's 5,000 miles from Japan to California. And yet it caused 50 to $100 million in damage to the coastal infrastructure that can't withstand that, that rapid tide um, that normally occurs over a six hour period occurring within a 20 to 30 minute period. Just floating docks aren't built to withstand the, the, the forces that occur in such a short time frame. And so that's kind of what was experienced in a few places like uh, Santa Cruz and Crescent City up north, but actually 27 harbors up and down California experienced damage from that event. Um, also from this Chilean event, um, uh, there were uh, three to four million dollars in damage from that event. And um, what we see is, as was mentioned, it takes about um, five hours to, for uh, an event from Alaska. Um, each of these rings is three hours, so uh, down here is six hours, but about five hours from one of our worst potential tsunamis would be coming from Alaska. This is where we had a tsunami in 1964 that uh, killed 12 people in California uh, and destroyed 30 blocks of uh, uh, Crescent City, which is kind of a, um, a, a place where we've had a lot of tsunami experiences uh, in Crescent City and Hilo, Hawaii, a kind of tsunami magnets. And unfortunately for them, they learn a lot about tsunamis, um, but they also experience some, some impacts. Uh, from, as was mentioned, from Japan, it's about 10 hours. Uh, from Chile, it would be about 15 hours. Our most recent event is this one. It actually was in uh, January 2018. Uh, January 23rd, all of California was put into what is called a watch. Uh, we can be put into uh, different categories as defined by our National Tsunami Warning Center, which um, I'll describe uh, in just a minute here. And what we have done is shown um, locally where in California 
uh, water could potentially go by mapping uh, five different scenarios for, for each section of coast, uh, kind of our, uh, coming from each of those source areas, um, and combining that into a potentially worst case scenario, saying that within the red area, um, which is basically really close to the coast, except for some very flat areas in the harbor and down in the Naples area. But if you follow the coast, um, it really won't go far inland. If you're at the top of the bluff here in this area, um, you know, that's above 10, 15, 20 feet, uh, which is as high as uh, most of these events can go. Um, statewide, this also hugs the coast. Uh, we're very, uh, we generally have high ground nearby. And that is the message. Uh, if you feel a local earthquake that is not as likely to happen, or if you're told to go uh, to evacuate, um, it's good to familiar, familiarize yourself with where you are in this, in this particular area um, and uh, where, your, where your safe ground is, and practice walking there um, with your family, yourself, or the group of people. I think there's an event coming up here in Long Beach uh, next Saturday that Reggie may talk about, um, that is basically getting that muscle memory going out of the zone and knowing how far you've gone. And in, um, in Crescent City in Northern California, they did a drill um, prior to the 2011 event in which they evacuated their whole city um, as a drill. And then when the event actually happened, they uh, had a phone call. Uh, uh, called all their citizens in the middle of the night during that Japan tsunami, and um, people said that having practiced it eight months prior, they, they knew exactly what to do, and they felt much better, and it, it worked very well in that situation. So uh, uh, we at the state have worked together with the scientists, and uh, as scientists and emergency managers, to put together these maps just to show where uh, to evacuate from, and then this has served as a basis for planning for emergency response throughout California. So, so Kevin, we've got five-hour warning from Alaska, 10 from Japan, 13 from Chile. In the unlikely event there was a landslide off of our coast, what, how much warning might, might we have? We would not have uh, much warning at all. So in that kind of a situation, what we're talking about is a warning system where we have a few hours, but in a local event, the, you, would you would feel an earthquake, a strong earthquake, and if you feel 20 seconds or more of shaking at the coast, if you're at an immediate coast, that would serve as your warning. The earthquake, the shaking, um, would serve as your warning that there may be something happening, and it's a good idea to potentially go inland to high ground. Um, you may see tsunami signs in the area, that point you, that say if you feel strong shaking, move inland. Um, they may, there may be route signs, and uh, there may be signs that say entering or leaving tsunami zone, and those entering or leaving uh, signs are placed at the edge, the inland edge of the inundation zone, so that's an uh, indication that you have gone far enough. If you don't have the map in front of you, that's what some of these signs are uh, kind of designed to do, is to show you how, where to go in the, when you're outside. So, we prepare in Long Beach for all hazards. Um, Long Beach is a very, very complex city in terms of disaster preparedness. And you can see the uh, fault lines that we have, the faults that crisscross um, our city, um, indicates that um, mo the most probable disaster for the city of Long Beach is, <laughs> is an earthquake. Um, but we're also very much concerned about 
um, the gas pipelines, the, the water utilities that we operate, um, the airport that we operate. So we have very much concerns about man-made uh, terrorist attacks there. Uh, we live on the Pacific uh, Rim, and we manage one of the largest seaports um, in the world. And so we are extremely concerned about tsunamis as well as, um, as, well as terrorist attacks uh, that, that could occur there. Injuries from a, a tsunami can be mitigated um, through uh, preparedness, through timely uh, warnings, and through effective uh, responses. And that really is uh, the takeaways for my portion of, of this uh, presentation. I'm going to talk more specifically about how you can prepare yourselves and your family and your business uh, for a tsunami. So let's do this first. Let's get in the zone. And this map is here. And some of you might have picked up the, the uh, brochure that has the map out there. And, and there's others that we left as well. But let's take a look here. I think Rick already identified that we are within an inundation zone or flood zone right now in the city of in, uh, here at the aquarium. Um, our flood, our, our um, flood zones is really um, separated by the 710 freeway. And you can see it runs east along Ocean and Livingston and then southwest to the, uh, to the ocean. Uh, this is 7th, so this is Ocean Boulevard here. This is 7th Street, as I recall here. So generally, you want to get up to about 7th Street, gets you up about um, two miles away from this inundation zone for the most part. Um, the other recommendation is that you somehow get to 100 feet elevation, and you're going to be hard-pressed to get to 100 feet elevation uh, in Long Beach unless you're going to go up to Signal Hill. We're pretty flat. On the west side of the 710 freeway, it generally runs along Anaheim Street uh, here in south uh, and west to the ocean. So this is PCH here that will get you about a mile and a half away from the ocean. And so this is sort of a safe area here. Again, the goal is that you be able to get 100 feet elevation two miles um, away from, from the ocean. So how do we prepare for a tsunami? First thing is that we get informed and we stay informed. And so Jerry was talking about he didn't get a message from us. Our primary messaging system for the city of Long Beach is Alert Long Beach. Uh, we send out uh, alert messages to your mobile device, text, uh, phone, uh, email, uh, directly to where you are, to where you live or work. Uh, messages go out in American Sign Language uh, videos as well. Um, we have a number of redundancies in our notification uh, system. We're about to embark on utilizing a FEMA notification system, that WEA notification system that sends out uh, notices, alerts, similar to AMBER alerts. Anybody ever got an AMBER alert, that loud noise? So the Alert Long Beach requires as a subscription um, program. It requires you to sign up. And, and there are some brochures out there that will walk you through how to sign up for that. Uh, but the WEA FEMA system, um, if you're within range of a cell tower, you will get this notification. That's really important because we're a mega tourist destination, and so we want to be able to get to the tourists as well. We have redundancies built in. We'll use CERT volunteers. Any CERT volunteers in the audience? We got some CERT volunteers. And we're going to talk a lot about CERT as the night goes on. But CERT volunteers, first responders, um, a lot of other notification systems there that you can uh, sign up for. 
or subscribe to. Get trained, and I, I mentioned CERT already, that is our primary means of, of training our residents um, to be uh, self-sufficient um, and to be able to provide support for themselves while first responders are en route to your location. Along with CERT, we offer Long Beach Search, Search and Rescue uh, training along, as well as the American Red Cross as CPR and other types of training that you can get. For residents in, in our neighborhood, one of the new initiatives that we're really pushing is a, is a program called Map Your Neighborhood. Map Your Neighborhood offers an opportunity for residents to really understand the resources and the risks that they have within their neighborhoods. An opportunity for you to better understand who lives in your neighborhood, who are the plumbers, who are the electricians, uh, who are the teachers, who are the nurses that can provide assistance in the event of, of an emergency. Also, understanding the risk in your neighborhood as well. Who are the elderly people? Who are the people that are gonna need assistance uh, with evacuation? Who are the young children, these latchkey kids who are home during the day? So Map Your Neighborhood is an excellent program and we're really pushing through that. Uh, the Tsunami Walk uh, that um, Kevin mentioned, uh, we, this is our second year, March 17th, next Saturday, we're gonna, we're gonna do this um, Tsunami Walk adjacent to uh, the Will Rogers High uh, School is where we're gonna start that walk. Every September, we host an event called Ready Long Beach. It's a mega expo, disaster preparedness expo. We have FEMA representatives, we have the military. We have all of those folks that you've seen in pictures uh, where they're providing assistance to residents. We have them all there, we have booths, we have display, and, and it's really a good opportunity uh, for the families, for families to learn about resources. And then, of course, the Great California Shakeout every October. Evacuation plans have been talked about some. Map your evacuation uh, route, predetermined places where you can meet up uh, with uh, your family once you've gotten out of this inundation zone. Plan to go by foot or by wheel, by wheelchair, by bike, by skateboard, not by car, because the, the, we're gonna be jammed with traffic if everybody jumps into their cars um, to, to evacuate. So by wheel, by foot, and practice your plan. Practice your plan during the day. Practice your plan at night. Terrain looks a lot different at night. And practice for both a local um, earthquake as well as for a distant earthquake. So you distant, obviously, what you just heard from Kevin and Rick is that you have a little more time. Um, but for a local, you have minutes. And so you really want to be prepared for, for that. And prepare for and prepare a go kit and have an emergency kit ready. Think about the special needs. Just think about the things that you use on a daily basis. Those are the kinds of things that you need to put in this go kit and be self-sustaining for at least uh, seven days. So we talked a lot about warnings already. And you know, unlike earthquakes, tsunamis do give us warnings. They give us both um, natural warnings as well as we have official warnings. And we've talked a lot about earthquakes, far source earthquakes. Um, those are warnings from nature that, uh, that a tsunami uh, uh, could arrive. Tsunamis uh, reach the shore. Uh, Rick talked about the fast they, they're moving and then that, that speed as they're in the deep ocean water um, creates a roaring kind of a sound once they reach the shallow beach uh, areas. And that's what you get that, and that is another warning where the water is receding as well and exposing the, the uh, ocean floors. Those, those warnings, and especially that um, retraction of the water is an important um, uh, warning that nature is giving us because that, about five minutes after that 
uh, retraction of water is going to come that first wave of that tsunami. And I think what, what I've seen in some of the literature is that that phenomenon, that, that, that phenomenon that people don't see very often, attracts people to go down to the beach and want to observe that. And that is the, that is the wrong thing, wrong answer. The answer is to go to higher ground, get there, stay there until, um, until you're told that it's all safe. I went through some of these official uh, warnings already uh, previously, so I'm not going to cover those again. I talked some about map your neighborhood, again, the resources that you have, understand where your safe areas are and where your emergency routes are. And then um, when all else is, is, uh, is lost and you didn't get start moving out quickly enough, then understand what, um, what other resources might be available to you. For instance, a sturdy concrete building, right? You'd want to get up to at least the third floor and start heading up to the roof. And, when we're talking earlier, we're looking at the uh, parking structure out, out here, and that may be an opportunity. But understand what those other last resort um, kinds of um, uh, resources are as well. We've talked about inundation and flood zones. If, if the tsunami is caused by an earthquake, you want to be careful that there may be down power lines and weak um, structures, bridges, overpass. So you want to be careful about that. And as been told or said already, the first wave may not be the largest, and it may not be the most dangerous. So there's going to be recurrences of these waves. Um, number of ways in which um, we're able to, uh, well, these, these are the types of messages and actions that you should take, and some of that was covered as well already. So warning is the highest level of alert. Um, immediately uh, move to high ground if we're issuing you a tsunami uh, warning. Advisory is, is there, stay out of the water, move away from beaches and waterways, follow the instructions of local officials, and then there's a watch um, as well that may give you some additional time. Watch is kind of like stay tuned, be prepared, but stay, but stay tuned. Then there's a fourth area of, a, of an informational type statement that Noah might uh, put out as well, and that statement is the one that I like to hear most often because that one says, relax. <laughs> relax. There was an earthquake that occurred, but you're not going to be uh, impacted by it. So uh, we like to hear that. And then again, I'm just showing you here an, a host of, of, of resources um, and, and alerting and communications uh, notices and devices that are available to you. We try to be prepared, Jerry. We try to be prepared for um, all, all hazards in Long Beach. The tsunami um, is one that if we put in the effort um, to be prepared, to have our information systems uh, in place, and then execute our plans uh, to move to higher ground, we can really mitigate injury uh, through that, taking the few minutes that's allowed to us to move to safe grounds. And I guess in, in the, if it's not an earthquake, with a tsunami coming from Chile, Alaska, or Japan, if it's local and we don't have much time, the earthquake itself is the, is the best warning. And the best thing, if you were at the aquarium, then would be to go to the parking garage and get to the top level. Is that I think right? The best thing is to start moving up inland as far as you can. Yeah, but if I've only got seconds, if I'm never going to make it to seconds, 7th Street. Right. Well, you got your tennis shoes. You can start <laughs> jogging up there. <laughs> Have a bike and, in your and, um, so let's see. One thing that one issue that always comes up is, won't the, the Long Beach breakwater that save us? I guess I can try that one. 
<clears throat> um, it, it won't save the communities, um, but it, it could help dissipate some of the energy for, from the tsunami. But uh, if it were a large enough tsunami, it would, the tsunami will end up going over or around. It'll find a way to keep coming. And like I said, these, are, these could be hundreds of miles, 100 miles long of surge coming over. So uh, yes and no is the answer. If the so it might dissipate a little energy, but certainly it's not going to stop any it's significant. Not